Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots to get into today. As always, some more talk about the Canucks coaching situation. What they're going to do with their pending UFAs as we approach the deadline. Uh, But we should talk about the fact that they played a game last night. They lost to the Lightning. 5-2. Um... Steven Stamko scored his 500th goal, got a nice ovation from the crowd. That was nice. I was glad to see that. Got a some well-deserved respect and admiration from the crowd. That was cool. The rest of the game, uh, not a lot. Not a lot going on for the Canucks. And it's one of those games where, you know, I've seen people kind of try to make the case. And if you look at, if you go look at, you know, natural stat trick, uh, the numbers will show you that the Canucks fared much better than the Lightning in terms of scoring chances and expected goals. Oh, yeah. Fade that. That's a mirage. That game was over in 10 minutes. Like, first of all, the, the Tampa okay, Bay Lightning the... the Tampa Bay Lightning started Brian Elliott. Yeah. First off, right? So the, the Tampa Bay Elliott, or the Tampa Bay Elliott, the Tampa Bay Elliots, <laughs> the Tampa Bay played their backups, told the Canucks in advance what they thought of them, okay? And then showed them exactly why they were right in the first 10 minutes. And by minutes. the way, they'd already done that last week. Where they turned the second half of that game into, let's try to get Stamkos his 500th goal. 100%. This is the second time in less than a week that they have blatantly disrespected the Vancouver Canucks and got and walked away with two points after doing it. A nice little pat on the head to the little hockey team from the team that's made the finals the last three years. That should make you mad, by the way, if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan. If especially, especially, like, I can say that should make you mad, but let's be real. I've had the measure of this team. If you're someone who bought that this was going to be a fun season, who bought the moves, who got excited, only to watch the Tampa Bay Lightning treat the Canucks the way they have twice in the last 10 days, you should be mad. You should be mad at this organization. You know who else should be mad are the the Canucks players themselves. Like I know there was this talk about, oh, is there going to be a response to Sergachev for punching Garland? There wasn't. But like, you (laughs) you know what there should have been a response to? Them treating you as unseriously as you can treat another <laughs> NHL team. Two games in a row. Two games in the span of like 10 days. Yeah, they, That's what there should have been a response to. The, the the Tampa Bay Lightning treated the Canucks like they were an anything is possible argument on this program. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, not pretty. And, and so, yeah, the Canucks control play. But let's be real. The Tampa Bay Lightning were firmly in cruise control yeah. and like sort of taking a nap at the wheel. And they literally the- were like, hey, I'm going to catch some Z's. Will yeah. you hold the steering wheel for a bit? It may as well been like running time in the second period the second period was like a preseason game well and that's the level of intensity that was reached in the second period and i mean the canucks brian elliott made like one bit good save in the third period right like he had i guess that one save off connor garland in the second and then there was like one big save in the third Mm -hmm. like the canucks the canucks were so thoroughly outclassed in a game that was over in 10 minutes and the worst part is the you know tampa bay scores four one goal you could say was on martin yeah. The, the rebound the that rebound he should have kicked, kicked out, out further. Yep. But I mean, Stamkos alone in front after I don't even know what that breakdown was. Dancing through Ilya Mikheyev, uh, a play that, by the way, illustrates 
just why Mikheyev's been such a disappointing addition despite the offensive production, right? Like, Mikheyev was, Mikheyev was brought in to address this club's historically bad PK and bring some, like, speed and defensive solidity to the team. Now, I don't think he's been healthy because his speed burst hasn't been there, so I'm not blasting him or carving him. I still like Mikheyev a lot as a two-way piece, despite the fact that, you know, I'm fading his ability to repeat as an offensive producer at this level, both over the second half of the season and next year. I think he'll be better for this team if he scores less and looks more like he has in the past in terms of his speed, in terms of his defensive reliability, but that's a play that just sort of... That's not what we saw from Mikheyev last year. No. Even if he's outproducing what he did in Toronto. That play specifically, first of all, I agree with you, but I don't think he's 100% healthy. So this is not me being out on Ilya Mikheyev as a player, but that play, it really sums up just when everything, and and Bick and I talked about this a little bit on the intermission broadcast last night, but when everything is about the team is so kind of on shaky ground, you know what I mean, and so unstable, you're right. That's not the Ilya Mikheyev we saw in Toronto. Toronto is a really high functioning team in the regular season. Anyways, Vancouver isn't. So how much of it is about Ilya Mikheyev individually? And how much of it is just when you take any player and move them from a really, really good team to a team that struggles with the basics like Vancouver, that their play is probably going to deteriorate a little bit, right? Like they're, they're going to do things that aren't typical of them. And I have no doubt that again, take health out of the equation, but that if Ilya Mikheyev, you know, was traded to, Colorado or Tampa or something that all of a sudden you'd be looking at and saying, wow, there's a player who's making really smart defensive plays. That's a really good contributing player. It's just, are you, are we ever going to see the best version of these kind of supporting cast guys while things are so screwed up here in Vancouver? Well, you're never going to be able to maximize your outcomes across the board when you're flailing, organizationally speaking. You got to win in the boardroom to win on the ice. How many times do we say this, right? you got to put people in a position to succeed. You've got to have structure, and not structure in terms of, like, on ice. you got to have, like, process. you got to be you – you got to have ways of functioning that, ev- that are predictable, routine. Everyone knows their role, what part of the mission they play, takes pride in that. Clearly, this club's miles from that. And has been for an awfully long time. And that's time. another I, – I do want to talk a little bit more about the game with Tampa in a second here, but – Really? We're I do. Well, hold on. The last thing I want to say is Look, that, we're 10 minutes into the on, show, on, and it's on. already over, much like the game last night. The last thing I want to say is even in the first period, right, so you could say before the game was over or whatever, the underlying numbers liked the Canucks effort. But again, look, and I'm someone I, – I, Natural Statric is an incredible resource – over a large sample size, it gives you a really good read. I don't on what think teams you and doing. I need to caption like we I like know, the fancy stats. Like people know, <laughs> it's also not the word of God, though. You know what I mean? Like no. just because it says one team had sixty percent of expected goals and the other team had forty percent, that's not like a hundred percent of the time perfectly accurate description of how well the teams played. Like I don't. You watch the the Kucherov goal, the first Stamkos goal, the second Stamkos goal in that third period. The Canucks were not generating chances like that. No, no, no. Sorry. Guess what? The public models are not perfect. There's going to be nuances and, and and subtleties about chances that they don't pick up. So I get it. I'm not saying they throw them out. They're they're reliable, but you also have to believe your eyes at a certain point. Not that I'm a oh I'm the eye test guy all of a sudden here, but like come on, come on. There were no chances that the Canucks were generating that looked like that. Well, how many? I mean, how many plays all season have the Canucks scored with the level like with a team level move like what Tampa Bay pulled off to get Kucherov's goal okay Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov 
I mean, until they decided just to like have have some fun out there and start clowning around a little bit, like they were running that game every time they got in the ice together, just absolutely phenomenal. They run every from those game, guys. Well, and and here's here's where we bump into again what people think about this Canucks team versus reality, right? Like, considering the experience they have and the the know how that you accumulate the confidence that you can get it done that you accumulate over uh, I don't know like three runs to the Stanley Cup final in three years plus an additional season where you fell short in the playoffs but were a historically good regular season team like Braden Point and Elias Pettersson are sort of like analogous pieces for me anyway like I think Braden Point's every bit as good as Elias Pettersson, particularly if your goal is to win games as opposed to put up points. Mm-hmm. That's not a knock on Elias Pettersson. That's a compliment. No, Braden Point Braden is, Point is sick. I don't know if he's underrated, but he is an absolutely phenomenal player. Like, truly, truly elite, top-of-the-league type piece. Absolute superstar. Now, yeah. and, and, and you're right, maybe not a superstar in terms of pub, but a superstar in terms of impact. Yeah. And he's got Kucherov as a running mate. And then we get to Stamkos, <laughs> you know, and then we keep going down the list. And the Tampa Bay Lightning didn't even play one of their four best players last night and ran the Canucks show like that. And with Vancouver, we start having these debates like, oh, you know, look at this core. Look at all. Th- what are you talking about? Like, what are you even talking about relative to what you need to be one of the best teams in the league? You know, like the the volume of talent required. The army you need Mm -hmm. is just dizzying. It's mind-boggling how good some of these good teams are. The Colorado Avalanche are about to roll into town, having had a woeful season. Kale McCarr's status iffy up in the air. Probably probably unlikely to play. Probably trending toward toward out. And they're still going to have, you know, Ranton and Landeskog, Nechushkin. Like, it goes on and on. It goes on and on. So in addition to all the obvious mistakes and McCabe and blah, 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 Spencer Martin, in addition to all those other things we can bring up, the best teams in the league also are better in terms of their elite talent. Like, we really need to stop doing the overrating the Canucks core thing because while Vancouver does have some good players, some really good players, they don't even match up at the top of the lineup with the best teams in the league. The other thing, the other thing that struck me just thinking about Tampa and what they've done over the last, you know, 3 years, but even beyond that, right? Going back to when they really started this process is there's obviously been this really rock-solid core of elite talent and then you could throw in maybe a couple of supporting players in that as well. But there's been a ton of turnover, too, in Tampa. Like, think of the good players that they've jettisoned from that team, that played significant roles for that team over the course of however long you want to go back. Like, J.T. Miller, right? Yanni Gord. Tyler Johnson was a good player on that team. Barkley Goudreau. Barkley Goudreau. Blake Coleman. Blake Coleman. They pressure Ryan. Andre Pilat, they lose. He was an incredibly important player for them. Uh, They get Ryan McDonough to waive his no-trade clause or his no-move clause and trade him to Nashville. Callahan and Malone, a bunch of Ryans. Like three different Ryans. Those and those are all, <laughs> and none of those, with the exception of maybe Tyler Johnson, were like, ah, this guy's not good anymore, so we have to lose them. Yeah. It was like they're all good contributing players, but you got to make tough decisions well, sometimes. And, and that's and that's the guys they paid, because you can even go 
and do like Carter Verhage was on their first Stanley Cup winning team. Jonathan Marcheseau. Yeah. Like even their fourth line guys are sick. <laughs> like sick. And 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 it's goalies too. It's Bishop. It's like honestly, it's un- outrageous the amount of players that they've had no concern about losing. And, and yeah. And then- and, and and this market it's like Every guy, it's like, if we trade Kuzmenko, the building will be empty. It's like, Kuzmenko had a great game last night, and the Canucks weren't close. Yeah. Like, do you want to win? Do you want to win? Or do you want to win on paper so that the worst analysts in the sport are complimenting you on your summer, a la Pierre Dorian? Do you hear Pierre Dorian today being like, oh, well, we'll see you over the next few weeks. I did not. Know. Yeah, he's like, oh, we'll see over the next few weeks what our goals are leading into the trade deadline. I was like, oh, that's the bad place. That's the bad place. I mean, we're also in the bad place. Don't get me wrong. Like, this is also. That's a bad place we've been in the past, though, as well. <laughs> yeah, this is bad place 2.0 yeah. where we're doing all the resets because yeah. we keep figuring it out. Um, at least we know now. Uh-huh. Ottawa Senators fans, I don't know if they know. They s- they didn't know the summer. But that, you know, there's so many things you can compliment Tampa for doing well, but that one where it's just you have to be able to look at your team and stomach losing good players sometimes. In a, in a hard cap system, that has to be a part of your MO. You have to be able to do it, and they've done a really impressive job. And I get that it's easier when you have Kucherov, Point, Hedman, Stampkos, and as you always talk about, you have them with cost certainty for long-term deals. But you can't, it, like, to me, it's just what the Canucks are doing and what Tampa Bay isn't doing is operating out of fear, right? Just the absolute terror of being able to replace players. Sorry, and we didn't even bring up Palat. I, I mentioned Palat. Did you? Yeah. Sorry. But but that's the example where, like, you're headed toward free agency. You make the tough call. Yeah. Like, sorry, we can't meet that price. It doesn't make sense for us. We love you, but bye. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's – and 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 – Tampa Bay has had no problem making moves that look silly, but actually reflect a new reality. So Tampa Bay, when Tampa Bay gave up a first for Barkley Gaudreau, people were like, what? People were like genuinely confused. Yeah. And then a year later, I mean, first of all, they win the cup, so whatever. No one's going to, but it's like a year later, everyone's like, oh, right, because now they have this guy for two years. And they got, I mean, the 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 leverage went up, which they couldn't have known at the time because of the flat cap. But, I mean, and then the next year they give up two firsts for Brandon Hagel. And instead of being, instead, and the industry still behind the Tampa Bay Lightning, instead of being like, oh, wow, they've done it again. What are they doing? Or, or at least being like, the fact that Tampa is making this deal is going to give me pause, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a deeper look at it and think about what's going on here. You know what I mean? It made sense to me immediately. Yeah. And but uh, even within the industry, people were like two firsts for Brandon Hagel. I don't even know who that is. It's like first of all, don't admit that. <laughs> but secondly, like they've been willing to do things that look silly. Anyway, we can go over the Tampa model yeah. for days. I, I love I love talking about their second third contract structure. That's like my yeah. favorite thing in the sport. And it and takes a decade. On the point of not you know not being afraid to lose players, Ramon brings up one of the best examples in recent Canucks history. He says, "LOL, this market had people defending the Pearson signing." It's like, yeah, well, we can't lose Tanner Pearson. And again, I know Tanner Pearson's in a rough spot right now. I like the player. No, but it was a no-brainer you for can, this team. You can, in fact, lose Tanner Pearson and still be fine as a franchise. You have to lose. You have to be willing to lose players, and you have to be willing to lose players at the right time. 
right? Like, there are moments to lose guys, and there are moments not to. Yeah. Right? I mean, I still think about... One thing, I, th- I was thinking about this the other day, because I thought the club made a terrible error when they lost, in particular, Jacob Markstrom. Mm-hmm. And... For the last two years, people have dunked on me a lot for that, right? Fair enough, whatever. I still believe it. And and my logic was, going into this season where you've got one more year of Pedersen and Hughes' ELCs, considering the way that this team's built, the logic of the Horvat-JT Miller deals, mm-hmm. which both sort of created for me what I saw as like a three- or four-year window. Did I think the Canucks were ready to jump into that window? I didn't, but... That's the logic of those deals, because those guys were producing at a level where you knew they were going to get big raises. You had the, these Pedersen Hughes ELCs, and then you had the Brock Besser Bridge, and it's like, okay, that's kind of your that's kind of it. You have to be really good then. You have to upgrade your defense core for that. And my logic in in the Markstrom thing was, what is the bones of this team that's had success in the bubble? One two C punch, Pedersen Horvat, mm-hmm. number one defenseman Quinn Hughes. Strengthen net. Now, we all know Demko's replaced Markstrom and more. I mean, I think since Markstrom signed his contract, uh, 9-11 for Demko and tougher sledding than Markstrom's faced in Calgary, 9-10 for Markstrom. Basically, though, uh, you know, my, my view on goalies generally, fungible pieces. But I always thought you're better off with Markstrom and the Demko return than you are with Demko and allowing Markstrom to, to walk. go for nothing. Yeah. Like, you also have to be really careful about managing value. And and part of what we're seeing in Tampa Bay is how advantages accumulate marginally when you do a ton of stuff right. Not everything, because you're going to make mistakes. And mm-hmm. Tampa Bay's made a ton of them. Mark Strait, Jason Garrison trade, um, you know, up and down. Like, they've made a ton of mistakes along the way. They're not perfect. They're far from it. Okay. Um, what was the Bishop Conacher trade? That was a yes. loser for yep. them, right? Like they, they have not been perfect by any means. No one can possibly be perfect when it comes to something as difficult as evaluating hockey players. Like it's really hard. Look at Tage Thompson. It's really hard. But they've been quick to address their mistakes and they've accumulated advantages from doing just about everything right, process wise thinking wise being willing to lose guys setting up this internal cap structure to prolong the length of cost control they get on their key pieces they have natural advantages like the the tax rate the fact that it's a nice place to live Mm -hmm. but they've also accumulated a million of advantages through just raw hard work raw hard work nail the draft nail player development nail the ahl side uh, their coach was developed internally in the American League. A lot of their core was developed internally in the American League. Um, and advantages accrue when you get when you're creating marginal value in just about everything you're doing. And the opposite is true as well. And this is where the Canucks find themselves, where it's like this organization has just gotten about everything wrong. And there have been exceptions. There have been great draft picks. There have been some winner trades. There have been moments where this team has gotten things right. But big picture, this team has gotten just about everything wrong for a decade. Everything from big picture strategy through to always signing somebody, (laughs) regrettably, on July 1. (laughs) Through to, you know, losing the wrong characters, committing to the right ones, right? Uh, 
coaching turnover. I mean, we're probably what? Uh, people think we're a week out from having our third coach in this market in 14 months? Like we're in we're in Edmonton Oilers 2012 territory mm-hmm. here. Let, let's let's n- make no mistake about how low this franchise has sunk and and what we're seeing basically is death by a million cuts. The accumulation of disadvantages that come from never being mindful of, of marginal value, which dovetails nicely with the the tip of the tongue discussion in this market, which is, you know, Andre Kuzmenko versus Garland and Besser here, right? If you sign the guy whose stock is high, you miss the opportunity to net value for that player. If you trade the guys whose stock is low or buy them out or in any way pay to or get yeah, off of these deals. salary or take back a contract that's just basically the same or anything like you're, that. You're yeah. wasting assets. Like, cap space is an asset. You're wasting assets. And, and realistically, realistically, and look, I'm sorry, but... The gap between Kuzmenko and Garland and Besser, it's extant. But when you correct for shooting percentage, when you correct for deployment with Elias Pettersson versus without him, and how much that's meant to how this team produces five-on-five, power play time, they're buttering their own bread. And this is how the pain continues forever. This is how you fool yourself. You continue to bleed value marginally. Small things. Things that might be debatable on their face. Keeping versus trading Tanner Pearson. Mm -hmm. Extending Andre Kuzmenko versus trading and buying out Garland or whatever. Trading Besser and buying out Garland. All of that might seem defensible as one thing. But when it's part of a larger trend in which an organization conspicuously and consistently fails to build value... Over time, it becomes catastrophic. And that's the difference. And you saw it last night. That's why the Tampa Bay Lightning gently patting the Canucks <laughs> on the head as they send them into the night in about 15 minutes. And I think the other the other lesson, it kind of ties into what we're talking about with Tampa, but also what I was saying about Ilya Mikheyev and just the difficulty of judging him in the, these circumstances versus with Toronto Look, Jim Rutherford said there's going to be major surgery. I would certainly anticipate it might not look how exactly like I would draw it up, but I would certainly anticipate a fair amount of roster overhaul um, over the next six months or so. And there's going to be players that the Canucks get rid of that go on to perform really, really well elsewhere. That doesn't mean it was a bad move to get rid of them. Like, I, I you know what I mean? We have to prepare ourselves for let's say they do trade Brock Besser. He hasn't been good this year. I still really like Brock Besser. Really talented hockey player. Wouldn't surprise me at all if he goes somewhere and has a really, really nice career from this point on and helps the team win meaningful games. That doesn't mean it's the wrong move. Like, you have to – you can't be – oh, man. Like, I know we're all haunted by the ghost of Cam Neely, but you can't be terrified of what the players are going to do when they go somewhere else, when they go to a better situation, where they go to somewhere where they're able to have more success. you got to do what's right for you. And I'm not saying – and therefore give them away and don't try to get any return back. But if they get a decent return for Brock Besser and he goes and resurrects his career and gets back to that form, that's not a tragedy. Sure, but it, the, could, it could still be the right move. But they're not going to get a decent return for Brock Besser. Not if they do it right now. They're not. The the the, the name to bring up is Kuzmenko. Yeah. There's a real chance that we never see Kuzmenko replicate these scoring rates. But even if you're wrong and he does... Even if you're wrong and he does, if you mine full value now, it's still probably peak value given what 
a new contract's going to do to his trade value. Like that's that's a much lower risk proposition. It, it feels like a high risk proposition. Lose good player, see him become star elsewhere, feels really risky. But it's a far lower risk proposition than Kuzmenko's percentages decline. He's 27 in a day or two, right? He's still 26? Yeah. I don't think it's his birthday yet. Yeah, I think it's February is his birthday, I want to say. But he's days from being 27. Yeah. And and you've committed $6 million to a guy who, going forward, is a 45 to 55-point scorer who only provides value in one zone. One of three. Like, that's that's a far higher risk proposition, particularly, particularly given that this team's not set up. Like, losing Kuzmenko now isn't the difference between you winning the, the cup or not. And if it was, that changes the risk calculus. And again, it's not about this player isn't good, so we have to get rid of them. Like, Tampa didn't decline to sign Andre Palat because he's not good. Because he can't help them, it's because it didn't make sense for them to sign him where they were right now. Well, like that's that uh, you. It can make sense for you to trade a good player. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. And just we'll take a break here in a second. But like on Andre Kuzmenko, I was thinking about it today, this morning, and just as a thought experiment, take the specifics of the Canucks situation out of it. If I told you that a team is twenty seventh in the NHL standings, okay, twenty seventh in the NHL standings, and asked you, should they trade? They're pending UFA who's 27 years old, or should they sign that player to an extension? It's a pretty easy answer. Bad, What bad teams do at the deadline is trade their pending UFAs who are 27 or older. That's what they do, and that's not some radical new tanking idea. That's just the nor- That's been the normal course of business for decades in the NHL. Well, and I think internally what you got to ask yourself, if you're the Canucks management, is how much is our desire to extend Kuzmenko based on having a proof of concept to point to given how our first year has gone? And you have to be Dave Nones-like, organization-first-minded uh, enough to conclude that that's not a sufficient reason to take that yeah. to roll that dice. Again, that's my big concern. Is like, yeah, my is like given how things have gone, maybe there's extenuating circumstances that make it the right move for some 27 year old UFAs to, for you to sign that player. But they better be really, really compelling. Like more compelling than he's had success with Elias Pettersson. That's not getting it done for me. Lots yeah. of players could have success with Elias Pettersson. Who hasn't? Like has has there's there's been no one you can put like even. Ilya Mikheyev, without his speed burst, is scoring, like, hotcakes with Ilias Pettersson. You know, like, why would you not give Brock Besser 350 more minutes over the balance of the season and see if he can show somebody something that instead of you retaining to keep him, you're able to get something for him, right? Like, come on. Let's let's be a little bit flexible for once, Canucks. Please. Yes. Uh, I want to talk about the coaching situation. Uh, we'll continue to read your text as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. More Canuck stock coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canuck Stock Sportsnet 650 live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar Lumber dot com uh steven east van texan enough of all this what was drance's reaction to the best hockey sweaters of all time the canucks wore last night 
I thought they were better than the there you go. usual wow. ones. I like. Well, the problem is the logo still sucks, but it looks a little bit like the logo's the problem, and it always has been. I saw a lot of people like. You know what? The fact that those jerseys, which are the best versions of the flying skate we've ever seen, All right. is just proof positive that it's not about aesthetics or design. It's just raw nostalgia that makes people like it, right? The logo's still bad, but the but at least without the white border, I thought it, you know, looked as well as good as it's ever d- done. And I thought the yellow and the black piping or striping um being like bolder, I thought that really popped on television. Um, you know, Fine as a fine as an alternate, I thought it was be- an, an improvement o- over with the third that they wore a couple years ago. I, I know that's unpopular, but I mean, if you start from an understanding that the logo's bad anyway, those jerseys did were they, good. Did they look more or less like how Vancouver does at night? Um, they looked as much as like much. Vancouver. Okay. The most does important. At night. The most important. Memory. People like tweet photos of me now at Vancouver. Vancouver at night. <laughs> it's pretty good. What a brand! Um, <laughs> they looked great. They looked great on the in the building. I, I thought they looked awesome. Uh, honestly, I thought uh, the colors have always looked awesome. That's never been the problem. It's the logo that is just brutal. Someone made a tank. Someone made a striped tank. Have you seen this? Uh, no, I haven't. Actually, yeah, but check, that's hilarious. Check out. I, I I replied to it with hashtag free the tank. So if you, uh, I doubt many people have. Use that hashtag. Oh, yeah. There. Check free the tank, and you can find the tank version of the Flying Skate logo. I, I quite like that. I'm going to show you here. Oh, that's pretty good. Actually, I do like that. Big yeah, fan. That's fun. That's yeah. cool. Um, that it, I'm it was a fan a, of. It was a good night for the tank last night, by the way. Oh, San Jose won in regulation. San Jose, you know what? Actually, more the, the teams I'm more focused on than the teams below the Canucks are the teams directly above the Canucks. So it, Ottawa won, which was big. That's To me, that's bigger than San Jose. I, I just, so I've been, ever since I started really advocating, you know, my, my whole um, Ronald Reagan, Mr. Rutherford, tear down this team act, ever since I really started going in, I've begun really trying to get objective in looking at, is it even possible? Is it even possible for the Canucks to tank? I'll, I'll have more on this tomorrow. Yeah, we can save it for tomorrow. I just wanted to mention the uh, that it was a good no, night. But I just want to say, in that regard, it's too late. <laughs> I like so. I'm I'm actually about to get negative again. They're two points up on San Jose. Yeah, but not really. But not really. Yeah, San Jose I, has I, two games in hand on them. The, or no, sorry, they have two games in hand on, the, on San Jose. The Canucks are among a class of teams that includes like St. Louis, Nashville, Ottawa, Detroit. Probably Buffalo, although well, their arrow's pointing up. That the gap has got a lot. The gap is bigger with those teams than you might have thought. No, it's not. It, it's it, like, but I, I mean, in terms of points percentage, not necessarily in terms of well, raw talent or whatever. But the, it's been deflated because the Canucks have just dealt with this gauntlet. Sure. Last the last ten games, and that gauntlet is about to end, and Demko's about to come back, and they're about to get a new head coach. And we all know what the Canucks are going to do over the second half. We all know. And I've now got objective reason to believe it. I'll present it tomorrow, and then we'll chat about it at length because uh, I'm really upset about it. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't care about the results or, or anything. Like, the, the long view, the pain that awaits us over the next three months is what really has me deeply concerned now. Um, speak- and, and by pain, I mean this team 
beginning to fool you again into thinking like, oh, under this new coach. Under this new coach. Speaking of. They could be a playoff team next year. The possibility of a new coach. I don't know why Canucks fans are Kermit the Frog (laughs) in my mind. We've all heard the name Rick Tockett at length. Who? Uh, Our colleague uh, Jason Bruff on Twitter today was saying he's heard. Monday. Monday. They got games Friday, Saturday, days off Sunday and Monday. That could be the day where they introduce. They've got two more good teams. Tockett. And then their schedule gets soft. And then their schedule gets really, really light at that point. Um, it's a good time. Hey, credit to them. That's good politics. We will see. Make the coaching change after Bruce Boudreau wears all the games against Colorado and Tampa Bay and all the other teams that are unbelievable and feasting on the Canucks. I like that. W- Truly, I, I'm not even. It's compliments to the compliments to the chef. Now they had. Uh, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what transpires. We've heard different reporting about the timeline. They had Frank Saravelli on, of course, uh, NHL insider with Daily Faceoff, regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650, and that uh, he had an interesting update. I thought on where things stand with the Canucks and Rick Tockett. The Canucks obviously have been deep in conversation with Tockett, and Tockett has been deep in conversation with others uh, around the league to try and assemble. Uh, staff and and it goes deeper than that Uh, you know you're talking uh medical and trainers and equipment and and all those things that um have sort of been in the works behind the scenes but i want to reiterate this that there's nothing there's no deal right now like there's like they've talked there's been mutual interest quite clearly but there's no there's no contract and so until that materializes like Mm -hmm. i think where I feel like it's a little bit cart before the horse. Yeah, no, and we said that. Listen, with the Vancouver Canucks, and nothing's done on until it's done. Um, but I uh, listen, ownership if, has clearly to this point. That's that's really been the hangup. Has been they they don't want to pay three coaches at one time. Mm. They have not given hockey ops the green light to make a coaching change. Can you imagine? That's if, what I understand as the holdup. Can you imagine if this goes sideways though? Like what kind of operation are they running here? Do you know what I mean? Well, like if, if if I mean you can imagine it going like I yeah can. I can I yeah it's not hard actually. <laughs> like I I and I, then I, and then what? Yeah, I don't know. More of the same, I suppose. Uh, so that is Jason Bruff and Frank Saravelli having a little back and forth there about uh, the status of Rick Tockett and the the key part. Well, there's a couple key parts that are interesting to me, but the key part really is. Saravelli saying that ownership has been the hang-up and ownership has not given Jim Rutherford the green light to make a coaching change. Now, I should note, a little bit later this morning, our pal uh, Irfan Gafar, of course from the fourth period, Canucks insider, also a contributor on the station, tweeted this out. He says, there have been some reports out there about if slash when Rick Taco will be named the head coach of the Canucks. It's my understanding that ownership is not holding up anything and Jim Rutherford has the full green light to make the decision if slash when he wants to. That's from Earth. Obviously, would seem to contradict what uh, Frank Saravelli had uh, to say earlier today on Halford and Bruff. The interesting thing, though, and the reason that especially jumped out to me with uh, what what Saravelli had to say, Drancer, is I haven't really got a clear sense of what the holdup is for hiring Rick Tockett, like why the move is taking so long to make, why it's in this kind of permanent happening but not yet state and we've heard some reasons right like hey they didn't want to do it on the road well okay but you've been back home for a few days now you know they don't want to pay three coaches i get that but like is two weeks is that moving the needle of, no. of that much for you i don't really well, think and then so the, and then there's the tnt contract okay, status that one. 
That one makes no sense. That does not. I, I, we haven't had a chance to bring this up yet. I wanted to like Rick Tockett leaving TNT to become the head coach of the Canucks is not like you know quitting the geek geek squad at Best Buy, where it's like, hey, I'm giving my two weeks notice, and the manager's like, yeah, okay, we need to we need you to work those two weeks because we're we're going to be really short staffed on Thursday. It does not how it works. Like I guarantee you, if. Rick Tockett has an out in his contract that says, if I get offered an NHL head coaching job, I'm gone. I'm out the door. If you're TNT, even if he doesn't, if you're TNT and you want to be able to consistently have the most interesting people in hockey discussing the game on your network, you you can make it as favorable an environment for them as possible, which includes allowing them to go pursue opportunities like this. You don't want to lose out on Paul Maurice who is an amazing television analyst, right? You don't want him to lose out on John Tortorella, who is int- entertaining to watch, you know, speak yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, so long as you're not covering him <laughs> or a fan of the team he coaches uh, on a television broadcast. Like, you don't want to lose out on the big personalities because people know, like, you commit to TNT, you got to be there for the year. You have to wait. There's situations where you could get an offer and it's like, well, I got to give TNT four weeks notice and you're losing the job because of that. Yeah. We need a guy now. Yeah. I did. That one makes no sense to me. That's just not how business typically works yeah. in, in the media especially landscape. when you think about TNT, it's not like this is their first go at the sports broadcasting game. No. <laughs> like they're a bit, they'll have a very experienced talents relations department from their work on the NBA. They you have, know, they, they know how they this have goes. the best NBA broad. They, yeah. The NBA broadcast is my favorite television show. Yeah. It's fantastic. Like, period. Like they, that, that's a well-run organization there. And again, yeah. maybe, maybe for whatever reason, there wasn't a, a clause like that in Rick Tockett's deal, but easy fix. Yeah, like you can. This is not an ironclad law that they're going to hold them to. They're going to say, "Nope, we can't let you go. We need you on that, you know, Bruins Rangers broadcast in early February." That's not how it works. It works, right? If if he wants out of the deal, he can get out of that deal. So why, like, One why, why hasn't it happened then? That's the question, and I thought that was interesting. Now people are saying, "Well, hey, Earth's disputing that." Yeah, I read Earth's tweet. I know that, but maybe it's not true. Maybe. Frank's characterization isn't accurate, but at least to me, it's that's the most reasonable explanation I've heard for why a deal hasn't been made. And it's as simple as ownership hasn't given the green light. That It makes sense with the facts that are in front of us, at least. Yeah, I don't have an inclination, so I, I, I don't want to parse what I think is more likely to to too great an extent. But... I will talk about the fear I have. At the end of the day, I can't get over this, so I'm just going to spoil my own article for tomorrow right now. (laughs) The Vancouver Canucks have the lowest save percentage in the NHL, and Thatcher Demko is going to come back at some point, probably relatively soon, right? The Canucks are third in the NHL by shooting percentage, which is likely to regress. Mm Mm-hmm. The Vancouver Canucks play two more games on this gauntlet schedule and then things are cake for the rest of the season. By my measure, the Canucks have the third easiest schedule over the balance of the year. They face the following opponents multiple times. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to go over the full list. They play Chicago three times. Anaheim three times, 
Columbus once, Arizona twice, San Jose once, Philadelphia once, Detroit twice, St. Louis twice, and one game against the Ottawa Senators, who, depending on how they play over the next four or five weeks, might look very different. <laughs> could and, be buyers. Yeah, could be buyers. Good luck. Are they in the Bull Horvat sweepstakes? That's 16 games remaining for the Canucks. A third of their remaining games are against the worst teams in the league. Like, the absolute worst teams in the league. And you can make the argument on a true talent basis, particularly once Demko's back, that the Canucks are better than those teams. A lot of them, for sure. So, I guess there's two ways to spin this. If you're positive, if you want to be team positivity, and you know I'm not on that team, you could say something like, the Canucks control their own destiny in the Bedard sweepstakes. There's going to be a lot of big tank battle nights over the remainder of the season. How about Anaheim Columbus tonight? Whoa, big yeah, one. Let's go. Big one. But the way I look at it, I look at it like this. Rick Tockett is coming into a situation where regardless of what he does, okay, this team would struggle to not pick up points at a much higher clip over the balance of the season than they have to this point. Like, I don't even think it's going to take this team improving a ton structurally to be like a 98 to 103 point pace team over the second half of the season. You're going to have a lot of nights with teams like Tampa Bay playing their backup. You're going to have 16 games against some of the worst teams in the league. The Canucks have more remaining home games than just about anyone else in hockey. Okay? And worst of all, the Canucks are due to win a bunch of games, regardless of their form. In, in, and in those games, it's likely that there will be fewer goals for and far fewer goals against as both their shooting percentage and their save percentage regresses. So where are we heading beyond the Canucks picking 13th overall at the draft? Whew. We are heading to this. No drance. Rick Tockett came in, and his defensive system has them playing at a 98-point pace. If only they'd had NHL coaching in the first half of the season, they would have been a playoff team. How can you possibly ignore their performance over 35 games, Drance? You're always so negative about this team. A world in which that is like a regular thing into our text inbox isn't just possible. It's the most likely outcome. Bubble oh, 3.0 is coming to town. Rick Tockett is about to be the face of the fake hope that this team cannot wait to sell to you over the balance of this season and this offseason. Just say no. Just say no. Like, seriously. I This is what's coming. This is the most likely outcome for this team. And it should make you furious. I'm I'm genuinely terrified about it. Like, at some point, I don't care about the results. I don't root for this team anymore. But I take the level of incompetence that this organization has shown over the course of the past decade personally. Like, this franchise used to mean something to people. And we are about to see this organization treat fans in this market like idiots again. And, see, and and I, I I see it happening. I see it coming. 
And I'm I, honestly, I'm genuinely frightened about it. I don't think you're giving fans enough credit. No, no, no. Most fans are out. Like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Well, right. But the casuals, always, the casuals have been out on this team for yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, hold on. But there's always going to be people who text in dumb stuff and are like, oh, if only Spencer Martin's the one holding this team no. back and yada, yada, Dude, yada. Most, That's always going to be fans, out there. I mean, most fans of this team are watching football. <laughs> you know, like most fans of this team, most fans of this team but on I don't Sunday, on Sunday be... when the Canucks rallied against Carolina, most fans of this team were watching the the, the Giants game. But I don't think there's going <laughs> like, to be this groundswell of, oh, oh, this team is fixed. This team is fixed. It's going to be exactly good results for the last 35 It's going to be exactly games. like we saw over the latter half of no, last season. No. It is. No, because we just saw it. We just saw how ephemeral it was. And that was a way bigger sample size than this is going to be. And people are going to be wise to the schedule thing. Like, it's so easy to look at the schedule. It's not even like they have a tiny bit they of They weren't last schedule. year. But again, the I think schedule was cake. It was all backups. The team didn't look like they knew what they were doing without the puck. Everything they touched went into the back of the net. JT Miller was a center now. Every game they were giving up glorious chances and Demko was just destroying it. Bradshaw fixed the PK. Bruce Boudreaux. No one saw Myers and Oliver ekman Larson falling off a cliff, even though they hadn't had a two-way season like that in years. No one saw JT Miller not... 99 points! How can you be mad about that contract? I'm excited to see him establish himself as one of the greatest Canucks of all time. I Those just, were the arguments this summer, man. I think people... It was just as so obvious last year! Out. No, it's going to be more obvious this year. It's 100% going to be more obvious this year. I hope so. It absolutely is. Because it's obvious in advance. We're, we're discussing something that hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> but it's coming. It's coming. And no one loves meaningless wins that tank their draft position more. No one loves crowing about them Well, here's what to I'll sell say. season tickets more than this organization. Here's what I'll say. I have been lower on the final standings for this team for a while than you. I maintain that. Not the Look, their, I, their, schedule, their if, schedule is a joke. If okay. they hire if they hire Rick Tockett in two games, so they have this tough back sure. to back. If they hire Rick Tockett in two games, I would be tempted to recommend the over on eighty four point five. So that's, what would that? Okay, what do they have now? They have thirty nine. So that's basically the equivalent of twenty two wins. Yeah, in their final 36, 30, 38 games. It's a, from it's now. a yeah. it's a big pace. I don't see it. And here's the thing: they've already put. You're talking about them getting up to thirteenth or whatever in terms of where they're drafting. They've already put a lot of distance between them and like the next tier of teams. If you're just looking at the gap in points percentage, they're closer to San Jose, who I don't think they're going to catch. But they're closer to San Jose than they are to Ottawa. But but here's the other thing: this team, like this team's the the San Jose Sharks are going to do everything they can to trade Eric Carlson. They're going to trade Timo Meyer. Like the San Jose Sharks are going to debase themselves, and the yeah, Vancouver Canucks they, are going to trade Shen. And but Horvath. I'm not saying they're going to catch San Jose. I don't think they are going to. No, catch they're San not. Jose. I'm looking at the teams above them. That's where I'm most concerned. And what I'm saying is the, they've already put a lot of distance between themselves and Florida, Detroit, St. Louis, Buffalo, Ottawa, et cetera, et cetera. But but yeah, and we'll, and we'll see whether those teams sell or or what have you. Like Buffalo's going to keep going up. Yeah, but. Ottawa, oh, we're not sure what we're going to do at the deadline yet. And they're they're bad. They're outright bad. Like, that defense is Vancouver Canucks level. 
Yeah, Ottawa's bad. Bad. But the Canucks have a buffer, and Ottawa's going to buy. I'll tell. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. <laughs> the team, the team that they're going to flip with, for sure. Like the team that like is the one to watch. The team I see them going back. If you debased yourself and intentionally got bad and traded Kuzmenko, Horvat, Shen, the team you might be able to hold off in the tank battle is Philadelphia. Yeah, Phil, the the teams you're targeting it's to just stay Philly. below are Philly and Ottawa. I think it's just Philly. Nah, I think it's Ottawa, too. I think Ottawa's going to finish ahead of the Canucks. Finish below the Canucks, you mean? Uh, finish ahead of the Canucks. But, like, in the in tank the, battle. Sure. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In the... <laughs> In the reverse world, the opposite day world we live in. Sure. Uh, we got to take a break, but this text comes in. I'll just read the first part, which just simply says, the angry dude is right. <laughs> That's signed Jesse. <laughs> I just like, I'm just terrified of it. Honestly, I woke up and I saw it clearly, and I've got some numbers that back it up now. And I'm just like, oh, that's that's where we're headed. There you go. Uh, up next, we're going to chat with uh, one of your pals from Florida, now works for Sportsnet, Jason Bukala, former director of amateur scouting in Florida. Uh, I want to talk to Bukala about uh, the scouting process this time of year, and specifically when you're scouting trade targets, guys you're trying to acquire from other teams, as the Canucks might be doing right now. That's up next. It's Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strantz. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Sportsnet 650 has teamed up with the Clayton Public House in Surrey to bring you the big football party on Super Sunday, February 12th, hosted by our own Randy Chanda. Reserve your table now at theclaytonpub.com. We'll have tailgate and drink specials, plus great prizes throughout the day. Kickoff is at 3.30 p.m. The Clayton Public House. Good food, good people, good times. I, I read a text from Jesse. Uh, on the other side, or just before we went to break, and I just said the angry dude is right. And I didn't read the rest of the text because I thought it was just funnier to trim it to that. Uh, but then Jesse texted back in in all caps, read the whole text, you optimistic coward. Uh, so in the interest of full disclosure, I'll, I'll read the whole text from Jesse. He says, the angry dude is right. Everyone I know stopped watching a few years ago, including myself. I only listen to 650 and follow trade rumors. Well, thanks for listening, Jesse. I appreciate it. And there you go. I, I read your whole text on the air. Uh, it is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Now very pleased to be joined again on the show. Uh, he is a NHL analyst and scout for Sportsnet, former director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers, longtime NHL scout, Jason Bukala. Jason, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, fellas. How about yourselves? Book's always good when you, when we've got you on the line, my friend. Uh, you're, you'll be coming, let's start here, you'll be coming to Vancouver next week, CHL Top Prospects game taking part in Langley. I'm obviously looking forward to seeing you, but can you give Canucks fans a sense of uh, what to expect, particularly from three guys all playing on the same team at the, at the tournament, all spring hockey teammates, a lead part of a legendary Vipers team that just destroyed everybody uh, in Vancouver, Andrew Crystal, Zach Benson, everyone knows Connor Bedard. What, what, what do you expect from those three? What are you hoping to see from those three? Well, 
I mean, Connor Bedard. I think that's pretty self-explanatory <laughs> at this point in time. Yeah, I don't he's know. Good. I don't know if I need. Yeah, he's okay. I don't know if I want to waste anybody's time with uh, <laughs> any needless uh, jargon about uh, Connor. He's just so so elite. You know, I'm really interested to see the other two guys. Though, you know, Crystal's uh, very intriguing to me because um, not only is he producing offense, but mm. he's different than Benson, right? So. Benson's a little bit smaller, a little bit more uh, dart and dash, and uh, and obviously high end compete and brings offense. Uh, Crystal, he's got a little bit more interior game to his uh, to his pedigree, and I'm looking forward to. It's it's dicey, guys. I got to be perfectly honest with you. Like all the years I've been doing these prospects games, you don't know if they're going to play out of position, if they're going to play in their primary position. Um, there's a lot of moving parts, you know, you hold them accountable for one great game or one poor game. So I guess I'm just looking for little small details, you know, like release quick to space. Um, you know, I'm looking to be looking at their foot speed and, and how much determination they have on the back check and stuff like that. Cause they're already producing at a high level offensively. So we know they can do that, but, uh, I'm going to be looking at uh, some of the smaller details. How unique is it to have three guys? First-time draft eligibles from the same city, leading the WHL in scoring one, two, three, at this stage of their junior careers. Well, I think that the whole draft class is kind of an anomaly, and this mm. just fits in with that, doesn't it? Like it's, yeah. uh, it's a cool story. I mean, how exciting is this? I mean, you think about, uh, you know, parents that have kids that have grown up in minor sports, and you know, here they are on the biggest stage of their early careers, and They've already experienced so much together and been, in, you know, growing up in the same area. So, hey, man, like uh, the the real, the true life story of a scenario like this, I think it's awesome. I think it's really cool, and uh, it's good for them. It's good for the game. This entire draft class, guys, is good for the game. Yeah, it's loaded. Well, and so, first of all, I got to text Henrik and tell him to play those three together because they <laughs> should they should play on a line. Just like give us give us give us Benson Bedard crystal on a line that's what the locals want um but but more importantly you've been doing this a long time right you've managed drafts where your team was picking high in the order even first overall right been deeply involved in management teams that had the first overall pick uh obviously Aaron Ekblad uh Sasha Barkov went what two Jonathan mm-hmm. Huberto went three so you've been deeply involved with some teams that were looking at the apex of a draft class uh, so you've spent some time watching the best of the best uh, in years where the the guys picked were McKinnon and, and company. How does Connor Bedard compare to the, to some of the top prospects you've evaluated over the course of the last, let's say, 15 years? Uh, he is the best prospect that I've seen come along since the Sidney Crosby draft. So he... McKinnon, you remember Drancer back at that time, like we, uh, like, so we had Barkov one on our list that mm-hmm. year. I guess he could have been splitting hairs. It could have been McKinnon. They're both fantastic players, right? Um, uh, Barky's more cerebral. McKinnon's a loud player. You can't help but notice him all the time. Yeah. Uh, what you're getting here in Connor Bedard is all of the above. And what I, I honestly think back to, you guys remember when Pittsburgh was in the mid, middle of like, is the franchise going to be sold? Bankruptcy? Oh, yeah. Should we build a new arena out of the igloo and all that kind of stuff? Like, let's be honest, like the Sidney Crosby lottery ball, some could say that that saved the franchise in Pittsburgh. I would mm. argue that as a matter of fact. Um, this, whoever ends up with Connor Bedard, 
that's the same sort of impact he's going to have on that franchise. I mean, Anaheim gets some, we're not in the same situation where whoever gets number one overall that their franchise is, is, you know, relocating or anything. It's a different scenario that way, but in terms of the value of the player entering that organization, that's, that's what we're talking about here. It's uh, everybody throws rocks when we say generational talent. And, and I don't, I don't throw that around loosely. That's what we're looking at here. Superstar. That is, we've heard, we've heard a lot of high praise for Connor Bedard. That that's right I, up there. I Jason. need a shower. <laughs> Let's go boots. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, he's the, he's the, the guy at the top, but as you said, it's not just him. There's a lot of incredible talent. Uh, in this year's class, how does it stack up to some of the other really strong classes we've seen, at least in your time? And and what kind of sets this one apart at the top end? Depth at the top end, for sure. So, you know, there's there's teams um, that are in the messy middle. You know, those teams that are sitting on the cusp of are you a wild card team or are you going to be just on the outside? And I've heard of, I can think most. of a team like that. Yeah. We have some experience here in Vancouver. With that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. And, and you know, um, and I walked right into that. I guess. Um, but the good news is that this is a year with this draft class that let's say you just miss. Okay. You're still going to be getting a really high end player like Edward Shala, who played for um, for Czechia in in the World Juniors, okay. Like if he ends up being somewhere between twelve and sixteen, or so, like that that's the type of player that a normal draft year would be like seven or eight, if you guys understand. So the depth of the top of the draft is so elite that it's kind of the year. It's never a year just to miss playoffs. It, it, it stinks. But if you ever were just to miss playoffs, you're still going to get a really good player in the top 20 here. Um, if, if we look at last year's draft compared to this draft class, guys that went in between 22 and 32 last year would easily be second-round picks in this draft. Um, the other interesting... Maybe not, maybe not Snuggerud. Let me, let me back up. <laughs> Snuggerud's a great player, so okay. Fair enough. Um, one of the other interesting things at the top of the draft is, you know, you talk about uh, Matt Mitchkoff and, you know, a mm-hmm. guy who I think in a lot of years would probably be in contention for first overall. Certainly for a long time it looked like he would be second overall, and now we know because of uh, concerns about the fact that he's Russian, when's he going to be available, he might slide down. I mean... How much of a unique opportunity is that for the team that decides to take the risk uh, with the potential upside that he has? Well, it could be like Kaprizov, right? I mean, it could it could end up being something like that and uh, Kaprizov. And um, there's a lot of risk, though, fellas. Like, never mind the uh, the temperature of world politics, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, he's under contract until. Like he won't be over here till like 2026, right? And I don't know. It's it's going to take some. Uh, it's, somebody's going to have to be awfully brave uh, to step up. Um, general managers who are newly hired general managers of rebuilding franchises, they they usually get about a five year runway to try and right the ship. I, I think we would say that that's fair, right? So are you at the outset of your tenure, or if you're year two or whatever? Are you going to take a swing at this kid knowing that you might not see him for another four years, even though he could be outstanding and arguably if he was playing in North America, probably go second overall. Really? He probably does. Um, There's a lot of risk there. And I have to be honest with you. I don't know if I have the appetite just based on the depth of this draft class Mm. to take that risk too high. Books, are you hearing 
similar things to, and, and this is just rumor, this isn't me reporting, but the more I ask people about Mitchkov, the more I hear people uncertain uh, that, that his ETA in the NHL is as soon as the expiry of this deal, right? That, that it could yeah. be more like a Kaprizov thing. I, I, are you hearing similar things? Would that scare you if you were in an amateur <laughs> or a direct, uh, director position going into this class? Yeah, I'm, I'm really concerned about it. Okay. I mean, hey, Jancer, we've gone through it with a few guys, you, you and I personally, in mm-hmm. Florida in our stops, where we've seen some of these Russian guys that, um, you know, they were coming now or they're coming next year, but, uh-oh, they're not. You know, right. and there, there's a contract in the drawer over there that we're never sure about. And sure. there's a lot of moving parts. And let me put it to you even better or, or a different way. If Mitchkov comes over and in the first, in his entry-level contract, he's outstanding. He's an 80-point guy you know, a Calder candidate to whole nine yards. The second guy that you could have picked ends up being a 65 to 70 point guy, but you've had him already and he's already settled into the NHL. Which one are you taking? I'm taking the sure bet on the 65 to 70 because I'm thinking he's going to get to 80 anyways. Would you find it tempting in any respect if you were a team that was a little bit further away to, to sort of, take the risk particularly if Mitchkov falls a little like say you're say you're picking seven and you're and you're a couple years away from contending is there any appeal to the possibility that when you get Mitchkov you get a guy who's maybe like more of a finished product cost controlled as opposed to the 18 19 year old learning on the job who by the time he's ready already is a seven million dollar player the way the league works this these days well I you know what just as we're talking this through, like I'm thinking of the Kuzmenko scenario that you guys have on your doorstep right there. Okay. So um, there's a good example of when Mitchkoff would arrive around the same time. Wow. Clearly. And clearly Kuzmenko has got exceptional value and, you know, and his entry level deal is what it is right now. So you bring up a really interesting point and that is entry level control on the prospect, right? You got that four year window to bring him over from Europe. It's a little different. There's going to be some moving parts on his entry level deal, depending on when he comes over. I, if I'm a team like Anaheim, let's say, I know they have three seconds, okay, including their own. Um, like, does Anaheim trade, you know, uh, two of their seconds to move up into the back half 20s in the first round and take a run? If he's still there, I would for sure if I'm Anaheim. Right. But I will say this as well. If Washington comes up on the board, guys, as long as that guy named Ovi's there, <laughs> they're 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 picking the player. They're, they're going to take him for sure because they have uh, that relationship with the Russian players already. That's secure. That's the big one. It has to be secure. And that's I don't want to stir the pot too much out there, but don't mind if I do for a brief second. What's going on with Kuzmenko right now is going to be fascinating because it it not only has a day to day effect on. Uh, what the Vancouver Canucks plan to do moving forward if they want to make the investment in the player. And I'm, and you can rest assured that Dan Milstein, when he signed in Vancouver, that they, they wanted, hopefully, if he performed at a high level, to stay in Vancouver a long time. Oh, yeah. But think, things, are, things are off the rails. And so they could get a first-round pick back for Kuzmenko. But here's the back end of that. That could muddy the waters the next time the Vancouver Canucks go shopping in a Russian swimming pool to grab, to grab a free agent because that, that kind of relationship building and trust, let me tell you, it, it, it's a deep dig, and, and it's hard to get back in that game uh, if you screw it up one time. Can you mitigate, if, if you're approaching the Kuzmenko thing, and I think for the Canucks, considering all the talent that they have on the wings, the fact that it's really the only source um, 
you know, of like talent coming, Pod Coles and Hoaglander, on and on, right? Um, could you mitigate that by managing the relationship? Like, not just trading him willy nilly to the highest bidder, but trading him to a place that he wants to go, where there's a relationship. Can you approach things that way? Or do you kind of have to sleep in the bed you've made if you want to preserve the relationship? No, you're absolutely going to try and massage it as best you can. <laughs> there's, 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 no, there's no question, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, it's a hot mess, uh, you know, and, and it's unfortunate because uh, this kid is, or I call him a kid because of my age, but I mean, he's done everything he's supposed. <laughs> he's, he's done everything he's supposed to do, has he not? Like honestly, yep. like he's he's, he's done been everything exceptional. We talked about this a year ago. I think the three of us were talking about this a year ago around this time. And, you know, he's done absolutely everything he was supposed to do. So, um, you know, do you, do you maybe bring him back? I don't know. Like, they're going to have to clear out some cupboards. Besser contract, uh, for example. Like, at 6'5", moving forward, I, I think that's Besser's cap hit, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at 6'5", moving forward, I would have sooner had Kuzmenko uh, at 6'5", moving forward. Um, but I'm going to say this as well. My qualifier is that his next deal can't go over five, five or six. Like it just can't, people can't get carried away and give this kid seven or seven, five or something silly after one year in the NHL. It'll be like a, a three-year deal. It'll be like almost like a, a bridge deal, if you will, even though it's not, it'll be a shorter end deal to get him more money and more free agency, I think down the road. Um, but don't overpay um, uh, for him in the short term. But I would be way more comfortable in Vancouver six five on him than six five on Besser next year. So let me let me throw you a qualifier on the Besser versus Kuzmenko question. Okay, ready? Would you rather mm-hmm. have Besser, okay, plus let's say a first overall pick that you return for Kuzmenko, or would you rather have Kuzmenko at six five plus a, a one point five million dollar retention hold from getting off of Besser? Well, that's that's the problem. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely. You already know the answer that that we have <laughs> to manage. We have to manage the roster uh, moving forward uh, differently. So you know, I'm I'm hoping that Besser would. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm hoping. You know what I'm hoping for? <laughs> Either way, you're holding your nose. <laughs> I wish there was a buyer on Besser, like you yeah. know. But the, I I just I'm not I'm not convinced there is. So oh boy, it's uh it's tough in Vancouver. I, I want to before we before we sort of move on here I, I you know my colleague at the athletic scott wheeler uh ranked the canucks prospect system 28th in the nhl Ooh. this week and you know you've done this for a long time you've managed amateur scouting departments um it's very rare that our audience is going to have a, a chance to hear this from someone with your level of experience and knowledge of the players involved um would you quibble a ton with a 28th ranking of the Canucks prospect system as it stands today. No, Scott Wheeler did a heck of, I read that Scott Wheeler does a lot of great work as you know, and um, he's bang on. I'm, I'm, I, I listen, I, I really have a lot of time for the scouting staff in Vancouver, but yep. from this side of the fence, um, it's not looking good guys. And the um, who I was a fan of as a shooter coming out of the draft last year in the right draft slot. Um, I thought in the middle of the first round, okay. Um, Lakira Mackey, I had to literally look for him the entire world juniors. Like he was invisible and um, it was hugely concerning. Mm-hmm. And I think the McDonough kid at Northeastern is probably not going to be a Vancouver Canuck if I had to guess. And um, uh, I wish I could say something more complimentary. I can't, it's, it's 28 or worse. I'm, I'm sorry. 
Uh, that's about what we were expecting, I think. <laughs> that's all right, Jason. Um, a few, few more minutes here of Jason Vukla, longtime NHL scout, director of amateur scouting in Florida, formerly, and now a Sportsnet analyst. And, okay, you know, on the subject of the Canucks' poor prospect pool, I mean, we're talking, one of the things we're hearing is that, you know, potentially Bo Horvat could be on the move, potentially some other players as they try to restock uh, that prospect pipeline. What's that process look like for, you know, the amateur scouts or the pro scouts when a team is trying to kind of determine, okay, we're trading this UFA, we expect to get a really good return, and we're trying to identify young players and other organizations that we're, in, that we're interested in. What does that process look like at the organizational level? So when we're talking about guys like Horvat, uh, who makes really, uh, his contract is tradable, really, for the value at 5-5. Um, there's only going to be so many uh, teams that can afford it straight up without getting a third team involved in the transaction. Um, I do think guys that it's more difficult. um, Let me put it this way. If I'm the Vancouver Canucks, I'm all ears, whether it's high end picks coming back my way um, or it's uh, a potential prospect coming back my way. So um, like I, I had, I did a piece about a month ago. I was trying to, you know, pencil in where I thought Horvat. I believe Horvat, knowing him for as long as I have, I believe that where he goes next, his preference is to sign an extension at that destination. He's got a young family. He's, you know, I think that he would like to have uh, a landing spot, just not, um, just not a temporary home, if you will. So, like I did a thing on Carolina, and Carolina not only have their first round pick, but they do have some. Sooner or later, Carolina is going to have to get, not get rid of, they're going to have to include a guy like a Martin Nikish or a Seth Jarvis, somebody in an equation like that to get them over the top to win a Stanley Cup. And if they were to do something like that, um, there's a landing spot and it's twofold. It's like a pick and a player. And then, you know, they might ask for somebody else from Vancouver as well. But really what I would do in in heading up to the trade deadline, I've got two boards at work. It's like the top depth chart analysis for the contending teams on one side and then it's value in relation to the 2023 draft for sure. And that depth chart analysis from the pro team. Does that make sense? Like I'm saying to myself, like in, in four years, is this kid going to be better than this kid? And um, I, right now, my appetite, especially to have control early on in careers is to go heavy into draft picks over uh useful prospects coming back the other way that would be my recommendation well and one of the interesting things i always find about when you're trading for you know not draft picks but a guy who's 20 21 22 is the other team has a lot more information now about that player than you did and sometimes the fact that they're willing to include that player can almost be a red flag is that something that has to enter into it right you might be really high on the guy but do you almost have to stop and think well hold on i know they're smart too why are they offering us this player do we have to kind of go back and and see what else we can find on them i think that's a really interesting point you bring up because they've already put all the money and the resources and the time um into developing the prospect and now they're saying you know genuinely that yeah like if you pick up the phone one time and you call team B and they're like, absolutely. We'll, we'll include that prospect in that deal. <laughs> like, what, like right away, you're probably hanging up the phone. You're going, what just happened there? That was a little bit too easy. Right. So I think that that's a fair, fair observation and a fair assessment. Um, now you're also going to have to trust your own people, your, your director of pro scouting, your amateur scouts, et cetera, because the conversation would come up to answer like Al tour would be asked a question from Dale 
you know, uh, here's Seth Jarvis. Okay, books like uh, this guy, Leo Carlson in Sweden. Tell me why Leo Carlson is going to be a better player than Seth Jarvis. Like these are the this is the conversation mm. that evolves, right? That's how it, that's how it brings like life to the table, and and then you 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 make a decision based on there. And we would also involve, and I think it's really key. Good franchises will involve player development in these types of decisions because the player development staff. Um, are out there viewing not only their own prospects, but they're taking notes on other teams' prospects every step of the way. It's a very important component to the uh, to the transaction. Well, and actually on that point, Jason, just before we let you go, how important is it, especially around the trade deadline, to make sure you're nailing not just the evaluation of um, guys coming up in the draft and other teams' players, but that you're getting the evaluation of your own players and guys in your own system right before anything else? Well, it's 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 super important. I mean... You can never fall too in love with your own prospects. Don't, don't ever fall too in love with your own prospects. After you draft them, you hand them off to player development, you hand them off to upper management, and then amateur scouts, for example, they should really get out of the way. Now, it's harder for me as a director. Obviously, I'm not going to get out of the way. But you put it in the hands of the rest of, uh, of your organization, and then they're going to come back to you with some honest truths and observations, and they're going to say yay or nay to that guy. And you just have to accept that. Don't fall too much in love with your own people when they haven't become an NHL player yet, it's, it's, uh, it's a death sentence if it doesn't work. Jason, really appreciate the time. That was great a, stuff. A my fascinating friend. conversation. We'll do this again soon. I'm sure. Well, and I'll, and I'll pick up the tab when you're in town next week. So let's, uh, uh let's Drancer, get together. I, I have to, I have to owe you a dinner from somewhere along the line. <laughs> Drancer, so I'm, uh, I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing you guys. So uh, thanks for having me on. Right, Our well, pleasure. Boots. Cheers. That is uh, Jason Buklov. Director, former director of amateur scouting in Florida, longtime NHL scout now with Sportsnet. First of all, to the producers, clip the Bedard clip. My goodness. Secondly, Skip, skipped over Connor McDavid there. Secondly, the Mitchkov fade. Like if Books is saying it, he ain't alone. He ain't alone. That's another big takeaway. Something to something to keep in mind. And then the last one is the McDonough thing. Yep. I'm sure. I'm sure perked people's um, mm-hmm. interest. Um, we know that. Alvin met with the family, um, you know, a couple weeks ago. At the end of the day, when you're dealing with a senior player, they have a very straightforward route to calling their own shot. The Nashville Predators felt like they were lied to with the Jimmy Vesey thing. And ever since then, I've always thought if you can't pull the guy out after his junior season, your best risk mitigation strategy is to deal him before you get burnt and and I have no insight or at least no insight I'm willing to publicly say about which way this leans beyond structurally and from an analyst's point of view if there's and and it's not that if there's any doubt internally regardless of your level of confidence do not take the risk that you'll lose the asset for nothing you got till the deadline that's where it stands with Aiden McDonough. One more segment coming up for us, uh, final segment of the show. Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here with you. Uh Drancer has temporarily locked himself out of the studio. (laughs) 
but he'll be back momentarily. We've got somebody on it. We've got somebody on it to go and let him back in. But yes, in the commercial break, Drancer locked himself out of the Sportsnet 650 studios. So we'll get right on that. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We are live from the Kintec Footwear Studios. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in. Uh, this one, and this was in uh, this text comes in in relation to Jason Bukla uh, mentioning, you know, some of the difficulties of trading salary. And this text comes in: Why can't Vancouver retain fifty percent for Horvat in order to make the deal? It's only for three months. No, com- they should. I completely agree. And by the way, I did spill the beans on where you were. No, you should have. <laughs> I'm. I come back, and my key card is sitting on the seat. It fell out of my back pocket. There you go. So there you go. Nicely done, Drance. Good job. Very good. Um, Sorry, you just Drance told people back. that I walked outside? Well, no, I told him that you were locked out. Oh, okay. That you okay. locked yourself yeah. out. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know what beans you'd spilled, so. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I saw I saw it pop up in the group chat, and I was like, okay, well, that one's got to be shared. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Drance. No, I deserve it. That's yeah. fair. Um, but Man. to the question of why don't they just retain, I don't buy the- When do you think we do the next show that I don't go off? Oh, I, I couldn't even begin. <laughs> couldn't, even, couldn't even begin to guess. Uh, at some point, I need to, like, just chill. I don't know, man. It's, got, it's gotten you this far. I'm going to California during All-Star break, so Ooh. Um, hopefully then I'll be like, yeah, woohoo. I'm going to Tofino. Nice. I'm very excited. I love it. Yeah, they're going to fire Bruce Boudreaux. It's going to be great. Neither of us are going to be here. It's not, not great planning on our part, but hey, what are you going to do? Uh, okay. Why can't Vancouver retain 50% for Horvat in order to make the deal they for three months? They, they should. should. And here's the thing. I get, in general, the it's too hard to make trades right now. Nobody has salary cap space. I There's some truth to that. When you're talking about Brock Besser, Connor Garland, that applies. Well, Ethan Bear and Jason Dickinson are perfect object lessons. We've seen the Canucks move out more salary and, re- and take back more salary than anyone yeah. else in season this year. And... It required them taking back Stillman's deal to facilitate moving Dickinson's 2.75, and it required them taking back a one-way contract for Lane Peterson and having Carolina retain on Ethan Bear in order to get that done. So right there, you've got your object lesson in the moves the Canucks have already made, in how hard it is to move even $3 million in salary in a league where what? Six teams have more than $3 million in cap space? Yeah. It is what it is. Now, having said that... There are ways around that obstacle with for Bo, a player like Bo Horvat. Well, like, I, that's stopping you from making the mid-tier trades. It's sure. not stopping you from trading the most desirable guy on the block. Correct. Right? And and there's a difference between like actual cap space and a cap number. So um the way that uh the way that um like the capologists refer to it is they refer to it as like face value cap space mm-hmm. versus actual cap space. So face value cap space would be like Bo Horvat's a $5.5 million player. But when he's dealt at the deadline, he's actually less than that, particularly for a team that has managed to avoid being in LTI all season and has been accumulating cap space as we've gone through it. Now, not a lot of teams match that description because injuries are a fact of life in the contemporary NHL. I'm trying to find a team that's been able to toll it, and and it's difficult. Like, Colorado's dealt with a ton of injuries and on and on. Yeah, you mean a team that would be interested, right? Because there are teams at the bottom of the standings that have tolled 
ton of cap space. Sure. You know what I mean? But like teams that are contenders in the buying mode, it is actually pretty uh, who've, difficult. Who've avoided significant injury. Like even even if you look at just deadline space, which would be the actuals, it's it's grim. Like I've I've been clicking through contenders now for a little bit here and okay, the New York Rangers would be one of yes. them. So they have eighty one point two eight million in, in cap commitments at the moment, and yet at the deadline, because they've been able to avoid being an LTI and, and, and managed to toll daily space throughout the year, they should have about 5.37. So that's a team that could almost eat Bo Horvat's deal without even sending yeah. salary back beyond but a league minimum one. The Wilds for like this that. year are another are they? Uh, are another team that has is going to have significant cap space already actually have a fair bit of cap space. But realistically, you're taking money back. Realistically, no. you're taking money back or you're retaining and, you know, I'm sure the club would prefer not to do that, but I do think that's going to be the reality of and, getting this done. And everything should be done to maximize the return. Like, this is an essential deal for this team. Let, let's make no mistake here, right? Like, this cycle, and I'm not – I want to be careful about how I say this because it's going to sound deeply critical of New Canucks management, and yet I'm not trying to put them on blast with this. I'm just saying that the moves made to this point, right, depending on how this deadline unfolds, I, I mean, there's a world where the Canucks mangle this, you know, extend Kuzmenko to a deal that ages poorly and don't maximize the Bo Horvat return. And we look back on this as like a cycle that was every bit as damaging as the summer of 2021 in terms of this club's real chances of improving mm -hmm. or doing anything meaningful as another missed opportunity it's high right? stakes it's a, and this is the the dilemma i find myself when thinking about the canucks so often is that there's so much there's so much reason to be frustrated and there has been so many reasons to be frustrated this is still a really good opportunity and not that they're all of a sudden going to be in this incredible envious position but to start turning it around you've got the most desirable asset on the trade market right now you've got Two other assets that should at least get you decent returns. There's still a moment here to really get things pointed in the right direction. And now part of that is just making the right decision with a guy like Kuzmenko, certainly with a player like Luke Shen. But you're right. Another huge part of that is getting an appropriate return, an appropriate amount of value back from a Bo Horvat trade, if that is the road. And it certainly looks like that they're going to go down and yeah to that point you have to do everything you can to grease the wheels to make sure you're getting that appropriate value back and if that means retaining for the last half of the year if that means hey you got to take back an, ex an expiring contract to make the money work and the other big thing of course that you can do the other card you have to play is to allow teams to talk about an extension with Bo Horvat that's a major one as well right that you know there that could open up theoretically a whole other class of teams that might not be interested unless they get that permission so who knows maybe they will ultimately decide to do that but that absolutely has to be on the table Yeah, me, me and rick reported earlier in the process that we thought it was unlikely that the canucks would grant that permission obviously all the reporting of late has sort of backed up how difficult it could be for the canucks to cede that level of control mm -hmm. um in the discussions We'll see where this goes, but make no mistake, if you're trading Bo Horvat, right, this is like the last brick that undermines the logic of the bubble team, right? The the logic that I laid out, the Pedersen, Horvat, Hughes, Markstrom, slash Demko basis for the optimism that opened this decade of Canucks hockey, right? And has obviously been dashed relatively quickly. 
but but removing Bo Horvat from that equation really does change what we're looking at here. Fundamentally, you know, Bo Horvat was like what the only rebuilding trade this team made last decade in moving on from the Sedin era, the only classic one. Yeah. I guess you could say Kessler. Kessler is a pretty classic one, too. They got two NHL players. Yeah. One of them was 25. You also got a first-round pick. Yeah, 25. That's fair. You know, like... At least it's in the it's in the had one year left of restricted free agency. Bonino was, like, an an old prospect. He was, like, 24. You know, like, they were two guys in their mid-20s. It wasn't, like, prospects and picks. Those were NHL players and picks. That was another age gap trade, frankly. So, you know, in terms of pure rebuilding tra- trades, I'd say Luongo and Horvat. That's it. And so the moves that should have launched this rebuild or did launch this failed rebuild are, are basically about to be undone with this team having received, in, in, you know, one playoff series win. And uh, Keith texts in, why would a team not let their players discuss the next contract? Why is it unlikely? And it's simply because Bo Horvat doesn't have a no-trade clause. He has no form of trade protection. Theoretically, he has no control over where he goes. But if all of a sudden a team is coming to you and say, we're only going to make this deal with you if we can agree to an extension, well, now you're including Bo Horvat in it, right? Bo Horvat has to agree. Bo Horvat has to agree to that deal for you to get the return that you're looking for. Well, the if, fl- the if flip you're side doing is, it in real time, but also if you're doing it in real time, you get two offers relatively comparable. You like one slightly better, but it's contingent on an extension. Like it becomes difficult to let that team do it, knowing that the other offer could evaporate and that team could move on to Timo Meyer or whomever, mm-hmm. Jonathan Taves, Ryan O'Reilly, right? Like, it, you have to be very delicate in how you manage all of that. Uh, it's a big test for, for this management group. Now, this text comes in on the flip side. How does letting teams negotiate with Horvat increase his value? And the theory there would be, again, like, take a team like Columbus. They don't need a rental, but... If they can work out a long-term extension with Bo Horvat, they might be willing to be involved. There's other teams that could be in that list, too, that maybe are in kind of that not-true Stanley Cup contender uh, phase, but a playoff team, but who would only want him long-term, would not be interested in him as a rental. And just, you know, basic supply and demand, the more pl- the more teams you have bidding, the higher you can theoretically get the price up. Also, rent non-rental pieces cost more, right? Brandon Hagel on a one-year deal isn't worth two firsts. Brandon Hagel on a three-year deal is worth two firsts, right? I mean... Bo Horvat's not going to be a comparable piece to that because his contract's going to be market value. But nonetheless, teams are willing to pay more for a guy who isn't just a rental piece, but but that they're looking at as like a long-term fit. Yeah. So, so uh, very, that's, very, that's very straightforward, but it's easy to talk about and much more difficult to execute in a real-time problem-solving environment like what the Canucks will be dealing with between now and March 3rd. Uh, Snoop the Dog texts in, retaining on Horvat seems to be an easy inclusion in a deal, but if they can move him with no retention, uh, it puts them in position to take on expiring contracts or picks from other teams needing cap space for other deadline deals or being a third party in other deals retaining expiring cap. I'd, I love, like the I'd theory. love to see them do that, like, but this you, organization's well, never done that. He's right that there is benefit even for the Canucks, not even just looking forward, but for in the next two months, opening up cap space. Like, you're right, Snoop the Dog. <laughs> there is benefit to that. It's just, are they going to be willing to capture that benefit? Have they been willing to capture we, that benefit? We've never seen this team take on a bad contract for the sake of netting picks. I honestly don't know if 
Like, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin would understand the value of that, but I don't know if the organization Bone Deep really understands the value of of using the cash slash cap space resource in that manner. I just don't. Yeah, and it is important to note that there is, like, real cash. You know, it's not just a figure on a salary cap no. sheet. It is cash. Real money. So there's always that caveat, but yes, I mean – uh, it, it's not. It does not match what we've seen from this organization over the last decade or so. Even as we have seen it uh, a lot from other teams around the NHL. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. Lots of more good. Lots of good texts coming in here, and I wanted to read this one as well from JFID. And we were talking about the Kuzmenko situation with Jason Bukula. Uh, fantastic conversation, I thought with mm-hmm. uh, with our guy Bukula. That was very good. Um. And JFID texts in, if Kuz signs for six, a, an AAV of six, ship out Besser and Garland for pennies on the dollar for cap space, is that a win-win? And I understand where JFID is coming from. I completely understand kind of trying to solve the puzzle of how do you keep Kuzmenko in a way that makes sense? How do you keep Kuzmenko in a way that doesn't sacrifice your cap space? But that's not actually the problem the team is trying to solve, right? Like, if you approach it from what's the question you're trying to answer, the puzzle you're trying to solve is how do we co- keep Andre Kuzmenko, you can figure out a way to do that. You can contort yourself. You can make other sacrifices. You can, you know, take less than you would normally get for Brock Besser. You can buy somebody out. You can do all these different things to create a scenario where it's, you know, technically feasible to keep Andre Kuzmenko. But again, that's not the question you're actually trying to answer. The question you're trying to answer is how can you build a Stanley Cup team? How can you build a legitimate, sustainable contender if it's going to give you multiple chances to win the Stanley Cup? That's the way you have to approach these Andre Kuzmenko negotiations in this situation. It's not just, okay, how can we create the space to keep Andre Kuzmenko? Keeping Andre Kuzmenko may or may not help you on that goal. We can have a debate about that, but you just have to keep the right question in mind. It's not enough to think about, okay, hey, what can we do to keep this player that we like? You have to think about it in the context of, is it actually moving us down the path towards our goal? And I think that's what happens here. It's not, and even with Bo Horvat, as much as Jim Rutherford said, you know, if he took the offer we have on the table to him right now, would put us over the cap. There's absolutely a world where they can do certain things and sign Bo Horvat to a long-term extension. That exists. It's not like they literally don't have the cap space. It just doesn't make sense for where they are. And you have to apply that same logic to Kuzmenko rather than starting from the position of we're going to think about all the way, all the things we can do to keep this player, all of the cat machinations and gymnastics that we can do to carve out room to keep them. You got to think about, is this going to help us to our ultimate goal? Like the only player you should be doing the alternate approach with is Elias Patterson. You know what I mean? Like, okay, how can we set ourselves up to pay Elias Patterson whatever it's going to take to keep him? When that's the logic, that's fine because he's your franchise player. He's your cornerstone. I get that. When it's a complimentary player, a really good complimentary player, but still a complimentary player, I I don't think that's the question that you should be asking. That's not the puzzle you're trying to solve. That's just one piece of the puzzle, of the larger puzzle you're trying to solve. Yeah. I mean, look, this is asset management 101 stuff, right? Trade valuable piece while he's valuable, rather than signing him to contract that destroys his value. Like, this should be straightforward, right? Two comparable players. Like, here's the thing. Every puck that Kuzmenko has passed or shot is in the back of the net right now. (laughs) 
and that's unlikely to be sustainable. In addition to any, like, aging concerns, like, yeah, he's a rookie, but he's 27, or about to be, so he's not a rookie in that, like, he's at the end of his statistical yeah, prime. Yeah, I do think that the fact that it's his first year is clouding this a little bit because oh, there's still this per- there's this perception of upside still right like oh it's just his first year think about what he's gonna do yeah, he's 27 he's 27 it, based on the percentages you'd wager heavily on this being his peak production now based on the logic of what happens to his trade value the moment he's extended you would bet with a hundred percent certainty that this is his peak trade value okay Connor Garland is on is in the exact opposite spot. Okay, spent a ton of this season with like Sheldon Dries as his center. Every puck he's shooting is finding the goalie or the post or whatever. Like Connor Garland is having a depressed season from a finishing results perspective. That's surely not going to last, right? Like Connor Garland led this team by points per sixty a year ago. He is a good player having a brutal season in suboptimal deployment, okay? Brock Besser had a two-week recovery from an infection in which he could not work out. His two-way results have been brutal this year, but his five-on-five production has been fantastic. Top 30 in the league. Brock Besser has never been a defensive liability in his career to this extent. This is completely out of line with his career norms. So, what do you want to bet on? Kuzmenko continues to be one of the luckiest players in hockey. He's so skilled that he drives percentages to that extent, independent of Elias Pettersson. Or that Brock Besser's defensive form returns to its career norms, should he find a way to stay healthy for once. And that Connor Garland is not one of the worst finishers in the league. And, in fact, if he plays normal top six, middle six deployment, should continue to be, you know, a, a, a decent, like, spark plug depth scorer for you. Like, these are very easy decisions. Very easy. This team would like to move off the players they don't see being long-term fits and keep the players that they like. Great. That's simplistic thinking, but I understand it. If you were a team with a realistic chance of contending next year, I'd say, good, go about solving that problem. Pay to do it. Yeah. But the logic of doing that when you're this, two points north of the San Jose Sharks, is, like, what do you need to do? You you have all these wingers, all this money tied up on the wings. You have all these prospects coming on the wings. And you have one guy on the wings who you can move who's expiring, and who has value. It's a tap-in to monetize that asset for a chit, a draft pick. You also are getting the cap space from not committing that to that deal. And whether you make that p- the pick or trade it for a defenseman, you're in a better place. Now, I thought Bukla brought up something really interesting on the Kuzmenko front, which is the relationship management perspective, the need to manage the relationship. But that's That's especially considering how already invested in the market for Russian players the Canucks are. Totally. With Mikheyev, Podkols, and Klimovich all in-house. But they have a really healthy relationship with Dan Milstein, who also represents Ilya Mikheyev, 
right? Rumors are you're potentially about to hire a Russian head coach or a Russian assistant coach, excuse me. Yeah. Like, what? In, in Sergei Gonchar, who who was long tenured with the Pittsburgh Penguins previously. So that all makes sense. And, you know, like you're telling me, you're telling me that if you go to Kuzmenko and say, look, you know, you have no trade protection. We can do whatever we want, but we love you. We thank you. It's not your fault mm-hmm. that we have to pursue a different route here. And, you know, we're going to work with you to make sure that you only go somewhere you want to be. You're telling me that you can't come back from that in terms of pitching? I think you can. I definitely think you can. Tap in. Very obvious route forward for the Canucks. So, of course, they'll do the opposite. We will be back tomorrow, last show of the week. Stay tuned for the PDO cast. Sportsnet 650.